Football Beef! Hello and welcome to Football Beef, the first of our monthly recap specials when it comes to the Premier League season. I'm your host Laura and today I'm joined by Football Beef regulars Tommy, the Professor of Football Manager Pittman. Hello Tommy. Hello. And Daniel the Devil Jones. Hello, Daniel. Hello. Is everyone good? Everyone feeling good about the season? We've got a few weeks under about, all ready to talk about what you've seen, what you think, and how you might have been wrong pre-season. I'm wrong about nothing, ever, so no. No, I'm feeling pretty good at the moment, actually, yeah. Uh, especially today, I'm feeling I'm feeling quite confident. For the record, this was recorded after Man United's third win of the season. Literally, and... just as we're recording, we have just slapped Arsenal 3-1. I like the fact that that's the term he's decided to use, slap. But talking of slap, you know what's you know what slapped down recently? The transfer deadline day window because it slapped shut. Now we're going to discuss which signings you're looking forward to seeing more because some of them played in the weekend that we've just witnessed, meaning that you've had a little bit of a taste of what they can offer. Starting off though, anyone want to put forward who they think the signing of the window or which club had the best transfer window? I think it's got to be Man City without a doubt to sign Erling Haaland for £60 million, which in today's market is a drop in the ocean and already back-to-back hat-tricks looking like he could go on to smash the golden boot record and everything in such a short amount of time. He's got the record for most goals in August as well. Yeah, I think... I think Man City have absolutely smashed it this window. They didn't really need to sign many players, but the business they have done has been really smart, I think. I mean, do you conclude, do you think Man City, just on the basis of the fact they've got a beast mode striker? They they, they signed Erling Haaland, who is just a cheat code. So it's kind of hard to to disagree with, with that. I mean, in terms of like the best signing I feel obviously he's he's great but I feel like Man City were already really good without him I feel like Gabriel Jesus has been a massive change for Arsenal from what they had before playing up front like actually running around and doing things like pressing and dribbling and scoring I feel like that's a way like an actual impact on the team has to like change I think even without Erling Haaland like I guess if you look at it technically like with some of the goals he scored they would have lost matches but I think the match would have been very different without him so I think they probably would have still been a very good team even without him I mean he always stands out Gabriel Jesus otherwise I think Isak will end up potentially being a very good signing if he develops and adds some more goals than what he scored last season for Newcastle it just gives them a better alternative to Callum Wilson than Chris Wood or maybe like to start up front with him who and he's probably always better technically than Chris Wood but yeah I think Man City and probably Arsenal although I think they'd like a couple more players in Arsenal but yeah which players would you have signed for Arsenal because I was going to say Arsenal overall look like they've leveled up their team which is it's meant to have been a long-term project but this window this summer yeah, seems to be the I still kind of feel like they were in a position of having a very good starting 11 and a couple of good backups but when they get injuries in some places like central midfield or right back like I know that Ben White's done a decent job at the start of the season that's without playing like a really good team until they played Man United like I don't know if I call Man United a really good team but they've got like a higher quality of player overall than the other teams that Arsenal played so I feel like could have done with maybe like a better option there and then I think in midfield like you've seen it like Thomas Party gets injured and they're playing Elneny in midfield like that's quite a big drop off I feel like that's probably sort of the area and obviously they were, like they were trying to sign someone on deadline day so 
they obviously know there's a need for it. But I think the main one for them was sort of Gabriel Jesus sort of really having a big impact at the top end of the pitch. But there were probably a couple more plays that they need just to make their squad better. But it's, I mean, they've probably done enough to be closer to the top four if that's possible because they only missed it by a point or two last season. They'll all get into there. But I feel like disappointed not going on to strengthen more. I would say. Well, I feel like we have to touch on the incomings of two teams in particular, the standout. I mean, I want to say about Fulham having a great window, because we did, but there's a team that probably we have to talk about, which you both might have an opinion on. Chelsea, given the amount spent, are you both feeling more confident about Chelsea actually improving their squad? How are you feeling about their transfer strategy? Daniel, I'll go to you first. I think Chelsea's transfer strategy this summer has been really weird. Werner, who seems like a massive missed opportunity, they let him go for next to nothing. And they let Lukaku go back to Inter Milan on loan, which is obviously going to, it looks like it's going to be a obligation to buy. And they find themselves with Kai Havertz playing up front or potentially Raheem Sterling. I've seen the two flip between both on playing that central role. They've signed but Aubameyang now. They did sign Aubameyang, you're absolutely right. I think Aubameyang's probably the better choice considering the position they were in. However, for such a need to really strengthen the back line, which I don't really know as it needed doing that much. Obviously, they signed Koulibaly, they've signed Cucurella that looks like he's going to play more on the wing. But then to go ahead and sign Fofana for 75 million, it was a bit of a head scratcher for me, I'll be honest. Oh, Thoughts? I think I think I think they they needed the defenders given that Rudiger left, Christensen left, Alonso wanted to leave and ended up leaving. So I think that's fair. I feel like that it it's felt like a very like who can we spend the most money on? Let's go and kind of thing. It has felt like that. Yeah, it and has felt like that. It, and it ended up being like a bit of a scramble when they couldn't get the players they wanted. Like I feel like the signs they've made for midfield were very much, this guy's available, let's get him. Obviously, Dennis Zakaria on the last day of the transfer window is one of them, but also like Carney Chukwameka was a bit like, he's that available. That was so he's random. Young, let's, let's buy him. I think I think they probably just like, just the fact they've had the takeover, the owners want to do something, they don't have like a proper like recruitment team in place just yet. And they wanted so, to make a statement. He yeah, had the money. Like, he wants like, to go, look, I next, can see your new Roman. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like next summer will like from a Chelsea fan's point of view I think you would hope that it might be a bit more kind of focused or concentrated like you've known all along that like I know there's but there were obviously issues with the takeover being like well when can we sign players what can we do in terms of adding new contracts but you've known that Christensen and Rudiger were leaving for a long time if you knew that Fafana was the player that you wanted why has it taken until like a few days before the deadline to sign him yeah um, I'd agree with that it's a lot of money I think he is a very good defender and he might end up being worth it but I think that up front was sort of like the area that they need and I think you've kind of seen that struggle in like the the first few games like they just don't have that focal point or that person up front to kind of lead them (laughs) onwards and maybe they'll be fine without that because they were when Tuchel first came in but I feel like the players they've got kind of need to have that person to play with and so far this season Havertz hasn't been that I I would I would touch on just one thing without trying to fire any shots at all I I find it somewhat ironic a Liverpool fan saying about Chelsea scrambling for Dennis Sicaria when they went and bought Felipe Melo or signed Felipe Melo on deadline day who is just an absolute yeah no that was definitely a, a situation where Liverpool have gone we're fine we don't need a midfielder hmm we've not started the season great oh we've got a lot of injuries maybe we need a midfielder if we if we're going to sign somebody it's going to be somebody that we don't want and we're going to pay 60 million for them 
that seems dumb. This guy's available. Let's get him. I'm not overly enthused by the signing of Arthur Mello. It'll be interesting to see how he does. I don't think he'll play that much, <laughs> especially when like the injury yeah, I mean, is up. Especially when but, Rabio was yeah. available, clearly, as well. Yeah. There's another one that obviously yeah. links with United. He didn't want to go there. Whether you want to have dealings with his mum or not. Yeah. No, sure I, th- I think I think th- there's always for some teams an element of scrambling on deadline day. I of think course. The fact it was, Liverpool is surprising, but in a way I'm not that surprised by it because they very much stick to their guns on transfers and then they realised they'd made a mistake and they'd left it too late to do something deliberate, which I feel like next summer will be the, the time that they bring in two or three midfielders. I think it's needed, yeah. I think you'll find scrambling on deadline day if it's not be all and end all, if that makes sense. Like, you really needed a midfielder and you left it too late and you had the whole window and did do nothing. Since we are talking about transfers, a couple of tra- a couple of clubs that I would like to get off my chest, really proud of Fulham for their transfers up Ooh. until about a week before the end of the transfer window. And then I think they just kind of scattergunned and it was quite sporadic. No real thought put into the transfers and it became a very... Much. Which Fulham. players? No, but which players William. do you think William. we didn't need? Why yeah, would we you needed cover. No. He did all right the other day, didn't he? He was involved in the Tottenham goal against Tottenham. Don't don't write him Tottenham off just yet. Please, please don't say we need cover when you're spending that much money on a player that what you know. Money? Uh, he's on low wages. He was only on thirty k in Brazil. Apparently, he's not got a pay rise. Fulham, that's going to be quite high enough wages though but for a 30 plus year old player that's going to come in and do what what can he do that your players don't already do right now well two of them are out injured so play is one of them harry wilson and manna solomon have got the knee serious knee injuries which is why they're not available i think you asked the question from my perspective i think fulham scattergunned it at the end they signed a couple of players that they perhaps didn't need and i'm I'm still rooting for Fulham. I want them to stay up this year, but I just don't know those players, the ones that they signed on deadline day, were actually needed. It's not really a build for the future kind of thing. It's more of a, we'll hope one of these can do a job on any given day. A little bit Nottingham Forest-like. The other one as well is Arsenal. Everyone, but everyone, is screaming about Gabriel Jesus. The fact of the matter is, if he was that good, Man City wouldn't let him go. Right now, he's looking like a, a star in a team that's been underperforming for the last few years. But they've beaten a few schlubs so far. They've scraped past some wins. They've scraped past Fulham. They've scraped past Villa. And they've got they found themselves at the top of the league. Today, they went up against their first real challenge and completely fell by the wayside. They, they had patches in today's game. They looked really good. But Gabriel Jesus looked like just a fish out of water for most of that game, in my opinion. I think Arsenal have signed a Giroud kind of striker that's going to maybe chip in with 10 goals 15 if he is really 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 lucky but I don't think Gabriel Jesus is getting any more than 10 and if you've got him in your FPL team I'd be looking to ditch him next month look at that tip for the most owned player in FPL Daniel's now begging you to ditch him Harland I saw he was up to like 70 something percent Harland so I feel like they're balancing it back so it might be updated by the time switching it back and forth would Man City have sold a baller if they thought because he had had chances at City. Because yeah, he, he only had a year left on his contract. and he That's why a, you can renew contracts, Tommy. That's what they're there for. But because, he didn't want to. Because he didn't want to, because he wasn't playing as often as he wanted to. But I think well, I think is there, is so, there, it's the same with Sterling. He had a year left on his contract. They probably expected I, they'd, be, they'd be in a different position. I understand Sterling, Sterling. Sterling. And I think they decided, well, I'm not going to sign a new contract. So Man City made the business decision. Okay, we'll sell you for £45 million with a year left on your contract. We have Erling Haaland coming in he's going to score more goals than you 
which he just is because he's Erling Haaland. I know he's. He, you said it earlier. I I said it to my friends the other day. I was like, he is an absolute cheat code. But for me, Gabriel Jesus ain't the one. I don't like the fact that we're pretending that Arsenal aren't going to be fighting for top four by the end of the season. In fact, I don't see Arsenal getting top four this season. I don't think they've got the squad depth. It helps that we're coming off the back of an Arsenal loss recording this, but suddenly you've turned into like anti-Arsenal TV in my head. I've been anti-Arsenal for a long time, but I I don't think they are the side. The other team is Nottingham Forest. Nottingham Forest, I thought it might be Nottingham Forest. Well, you've got to touch on them because let's be fair, Fulham, you know, did deadline day, but overall the whole window, Chelsea spent the most, but the... You know, the team that were constantly on Sky Sports News' ticker and being linked to everyone under the sun and still managed to have deals they didn't get across the line and deals they were linked to and didn't follow through on. It was Not hilarious. <laughs> it was hilarious. It was quite fun to watch. If You you wouldn't have been shocked if they were linked to, you know, retired legends at that point because it does seem like, from an outside perspective, that it was fair game, anyone's available. R9 was in the stands for a couple of matches, wasn't he? Maybe he was maybe not in for us to bring him to check, check, get him to check out the Premier League. You couldn't rule it out, really, could you? But, Tommy, do you think this approach is going to work? Because obviously there is the stat that bending so much and signing so many players, the only team that it's backfired on out of newly promoted and they've gone down is Fulham for the amount. Like, it's normally if the more oh, you look. sign, the more you, yeah, you tend to stay up. So statistically, it is kind of in Forrest's favour. Granted, they've signed more than... Under your skin. I will be referring to them as doing a Fulham. Um, right, thank you. Um, I don't know. Is that until Forrest get relegated, then I can say doing a Forrest? Yes. Well, no, because then it's still doing a Fulham, because Fulham did it first. I'd, it's just weird, I think. Like, I, I get it. You've come up via the playoffs. There are a lot of players on loan who have left. A lot of players who just left as well. But it still feels like a lot. And I get that like the step up in quality is is quite big between the Premier League or between the Championship and the Premier League. But it still feels like a lot, like a lot of players. And like it feels like in certain positions, I don't know whether they've gone, whether there's an element of Steve Cooper wanted X player, the Forest Board or recruitment team have wanted player Y. They buy player Y and then Steve Cooper's not happy, so they also buy player X. Like, I don't know if there's like an element of that to it, but like it's just like they bought a lot of players in I think that's a good position shout. a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good shout, actually. It's like they've bought one and gone, oh, no, wait, actually, I didn't want that. But then the, you know, yeah. the ink is already dry. So or, yeah, I do or, think yeah, there is they've, they've played a couple of matches and like he's not good enough we need to sign somebody better like that, that i think that's more the kind of thing for me like they've signed what like four five center backs probably or we can play center back like probably three like strikers or central play on now something like that i mean it's just, getting it, confused with the deals that didn't go through because they did look like we're going to yeah. sign batch ui well, and then yeah, that like didn't happen. And I, obviously like I say, the, the step up in quality was needed but i think there's always an element where you go is it worth that amount of turnover to have like almost a completely new starting 11 and disrupt the, de- like, the rest of the team it's like damage control that might have to happen because oh, yeah and and I would also, I mean, obviously, I, I'm assuming that a lot of the fees are like, well, we'll pay you like three million pounds up front and five million next year and five million the year after that. So that they're, they're, they're being sensible. But it's also like a lot of money that they've spent for having just been promoted for the first time in however many years it is. They basically think, moved I into a rented right. house and put a big hole in the wall. I assume that I a lot think. of players, if they did get relegated, like Jesse Lingard, I think it was just a one-year contract. If a lot of the other players do, or if they do get relegated, I'm sure the transfer fees will be lower because similar to some of Fulham's dealings, it's probably, oh, well, if we stay up, you get an extra £3 million to, to the transfer. 
and they'll have like release clauses if they get relegated. So they'll probably sell a lot of them. But it just, yeah, it just feels a bit a risky, lot. I think. I think that's exactly it, to be honest. I do. I was looking at the signings that they've made and they've, they're they probably punching above their weight for a newly promoted side in some of the signings they've made. And I, I do imagine they'll be on one-year contracts or at least a... If we do get relegated, you know, you're free to go again. I think the Jesse Lingard one was the weirdest deal based on the money they're paying him, obviously. But I would say they've signed a centre mid who I've been really hot on for about two or three years now. I think probably three years. I really like him. I, I expected him to come to the Premier League at some point and a lower to mid table team would have been kind of where I'd put him. But it's the guy from Stuttgart, Oral Mangala. I think he has got some good potential to actually prove something. What kind of level he could hit, I don't know. And I don't know if he's going to hit those levels with Nottingham Forest, considering I do think they're going to get relegated anyway. But yeah, some bizarre signings from Nottingham Forest. And I, I, I don't know how they've escaped financial fair play, to be honest. Some of the fees, I mean, I know you were like shocked and didn't know who he is. I knew who he was because I, I mean, I watched a bit of championship, but Morgan Gibbs White, when they put that fee on the table, that was probably the well, worst. I think, I think that's the example of one that's okay, well, you know, it's this much now, potentially. Yeah, yeah, I assume it's not up front, but even yeah, as a total it's package, it's like, still a lot. Yeah, yeah, well, is it kind of like a Pepe deal? Like Arsenal with Pepe? Like, didn't they pay like 80 million for him or something? 72 well, million, isn't it? White, like potentially up to like 45 million or something like that. Yeah. And that's like X amount if they make certain appearances or who plays for England if they stay up and all this stuff. So, which granted, they might not end up paying no, but yeah, when you're looking exactly. at that's what they're agreeing for a value, it's insane yeah. that that would even wager yeah. on them. It's the same way with the Anthony Gordon thing that didn't amount to anything when the money mm. kept going higher. And that, higher. Was that was I think, bizarre. Oh, I think Anthony Gordon's kind of an example of Chelsea. Kind of going, ooh, this player looks decent. Let's spend a load of money on him when they don't really need him. Um, all the clubs that were rejecting money at this time, you wouldn't yeah. have put it on Everton to be like, no, no I, I think, don't think we will. Yeah, I think the other team that probably deserves a shout out or discussion transfers, probably for the wrong reason, is Leicester. Just they didn't mean, do anything. Were, were Leicester in the window or did they activate their wild card like FPL style? Is that coming soon? Because they got one. They were fire. They got oh, one player. Yeah, well, they got, they got two players. Apparently, they signed Alex Smithies, which I did not realise. <laughs> Um, oh, FM legend. Yeah, Alex Smithies. Yeah, on a free transfer from Cardiff. I just like I, my understanding from reading things is that they needed to not spend anything so they could meet like financial fair play rules and not get punished for that. But it just like it felt like something needed to happen. Like they lost their captain in Casper Schmeichel. Wesley Fofana, there's interest in him. And like I get it, like to a point you stand your ground and say, no, we're not selling this player. But if you know that. And Leicester's business model is very much needs to be based on that. Being like, we'll sell Harry Maguire for 80 million, we'll sell Burn Chill for 30 million, we'll sell Riyad Mahrez for 60 million, and we'll use that money to buy players. Like, if that's how your business model works, you know that you need the money for financial fair play reasons to sign players. Like, digging your heels in yeah. that much. And, and you know, maybe you say to them, okay, the price is this. And if they're not willing to meet until a few days before the, like, the deadline, like, and maybe that is what happened, there's not much you can do. But I would have thought that you would maybe have like, try and get something in place to work around that because it like it's just based on the results at the start of the season this um, even what Brendan Rodgers said at the end of last season the squad needed refreshing like they needed new players in or like obviously clearly nobody went for Yuri Tielemans because I think if they had he would have been gone but it just it just feels weird that they'd signed two players one of them coming on deadline day to replace Wesley Fofana Daniel any thoughts on Leicester would you put them in the worst category before we move on from transfers uh, no I do I do agree 
agree with what Tom is saying, actually. Leicester's a weird one because, obviously, they they sold Kasper Schmeichel probably a little bit out of left field. I don't know if anyone really saw that he would be leaving anytime soon, maybe last season. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I just I didn't really see him being one of the names to go, especially, like, as Tommy says, Yuri Tielemans was being banded. Wesley Fofana was being banded around. Madison. Madison, another one. Jamie Vardy, as well, was linked with Man United. So there was potential that other players, other outfield players could go to maybe free up some capital and, you know, keep them in the mix in terms of financial fair play. I didn't really see Kasper Schmeichel going, but I do think that is probably their biggest blow in the sense that he was their captain. He's been there for so long and... He he really did kind of cultivate what Leicester City had become, both him and I would say Jamie Vardy. Right now, I do think Leicester have made some good signings previously. Obviously, Ihinacho looks like he could get a chance. Pat Sandaka, another player that I've got high hopes for, probably on the same sort of levels as Alexander Isaac for Newcastle. I think Leicester do have a chance to pull this back and not get relegated. I don't think Brendan Rodgers is the man to do that because he plays ugly football. It's not. I think the the tricks that he's done up till now they've all been worked out. There's nothing new that he can offer, and I I hate the thought of a manager getting sacked. But I do think it's Brendan Rodgers' time to step down, and I think potentially looking at a four four two kind of situation, one of the best formations to steady the ship. Run with a four four two. Run with Daka and Ayanacho up front, and look to kind of calm things down. I do think they could finish above the relegation zone this season. I don't think it really hurts them that much. They haven't had new signings come in based on some of the talent they have there. I think this is enough to get them over the line till the end of the season and then regroup and say, right, you know, where are our expectations now? Where do we want to finish? How do we want to continue going forward? But I don't think this summer has been as bad for Leicester fans as they think it has been. I mean, the fact you're talking about just finishing above relegation, I think there'll be a lot of Leicester fans that disagree because for years it was like, we're gearing forward, we're gearing forward, we're going, we're making progress as a club. And now they might as well have just hit the gear stick in reverse and gone crashing into a wall and they should have seen this coming. No, absolutely not. It's cost them financially, you know, massively to do what they've done and... They've paid the kind of ultimate price for it. All right, they haven't been relegated, but they are sitting bottom of the table as of recording. I wouldn't be as doom and gloom. If I was a Leicester fan right now, I, I do think there's building blocks there to, to move forward. It's, it's going to be a job, and I don't think Brendan Rodgers is the man to do that. This, I think Leicester is a perfect example of football fans and football in general being very fickle. That like They, they obviously massively overachieved when they won the league. They, over the last three years, maybe other than last season, have massively overachieved, coming so close to finishing the Champions League places that it kind of created the expectation that that was their level. And then the financial reality this summer has hit that they've had to put the brakes on it. And they've gone from being a team that can challenge for those European places to one that, because the squad has essentially been the same now for a good couple of years, has like hit the wall a little bit. Perfectly put. I think they've also lost out for with their assets going down in value when you look at the age and how long they've hid up, held yeah, on to something. The, the situation. Like, Yuri Tillemans didn't have a year left on his contract. Obviously, again, obviously nobody wanted him because if they did, somebody would have paid the money for him. But he's one they could have sold. Probably, it would have been like 60 million at least, probably. And, I mean, obviously, Fafana is the only other one, but they obviously didn't want to entertain offers from Madison. But again, that just makes it more confusing for me. You have the manager who wants to sign, who wants to make signings, who said last season we need to refresh the squad. You know you need to sell the players. Why? Like, it feels like 
cutting off your nose to spite your face. Obviously, things can turn around. I think they've got the squad to turn it around. But if you know that you can sell a player for 40, 50 million and bring in another couple of players with that money, you sell for Farna slightly early in the window for 75 million, bring in another couple of players with the money. It might be like a slight short-term pain where you might struggle for results, but like the future is then a little bit brighter and everybody's just in general a little bit happier. Because I think the like the feeling around clubs and the morale actually plays like quite a big part in how they actually do and it just seems like Leicester put themselves on the back foot a little bit with it yeah and you know it's funny actually just quickly just sorry before we wrap up I've seen a few of my friends Liverpool fans all kind of a bit angry at Klopp which is weird because he's obviously not the one making the signings but uh, knowing Leicester in this position two players I've heard quite a lot actually saying why are we not going from these from Liverpool fans one is Wilfred and Didi and the other one's Yuri Telemans both there to be had and I think they both could have gone in and walked into Liverpool and actually helped them. But and again, from a Liverpool perspective, I think two players that could have actually helped Liverpool, but not picked up for whatever reason. It seemed like they, they got Darwin Nunes and went, well, that's all we needed. And then they've moved on and not doing as well as they probably should be. I, I could probably talk about Liverpool for a whole separate podcast <laughs> with all this, if I'm honest. But that's not all we're here for. We are, we are going to move away from transfers now. And obviously, Daniel referred to them earlier, but a good starting point is Arsenal... Obviously, we know where Daniel sits on Have You Been Impressed by Arsenal, who currently sit top of the league. Tommy, (laughs) any counterpoints to Daniel? Are you feeling they're about to... We won't be talking about them being up there by next month. We're six games into the season. I don't think you can draw too many conclusions from six games into the season. Like the the level of teams that people have played is all massively like different. Up until today, Arsenal hadn't played any big teams. They've had a couple of close games and a couple of matches that you look at and go, oh, that's difficult on paper, like Crystal Palace away. But that was the first game of the season, so I, f- I feel like they will end up being more battling for the top four than the title. I think the only, the only one that I think at this point, or I guess two, that at this point I go, huh, didn't expect that, is probably Leicester kind of struggling as much as they have and Liverpool having dropped so many points I think everybody oh and Brighton doing very well but again I feel like that's kind of six games I feel Brighton down, feels uh, natural progression as well it's not like a shock at this point if you said like it is the limit games but with Brighton you've seen them improve steadily over the last this is like a project that's been building and building. I feel like the, like they won't end top four. I don't think I will say that. Oh no, but, well that's also what I'm saying. Like, but, yeah, but I mean, I still ex- to judge it on. Yeah, like, but I still expect them to have a good season. It's not yeah, a shot they're that, getting the wins they well, are. And I stuff. think it slightly is in that it's like given the players they've lost, like you know, selling Kukurea, selling Bisuma, and not really replacing them until like quite late in the window. But again, so like I think the the main shock for them was probably beating Man United away just because it's it's them going to Old Trafford like obviously they're doing very well but again like they they may well end up being up around there like being up around seventh six something like that but I just feel like it's overall it's six matches there's still a hell of a lot of the season to go. Daniel you I mean you said your opinion you think Arsenal are now gonna go back to where they are and stuff is there any other surprises false positions anyone that stands out that you want to mention? Oh I think like you just touched on Brighton I do think um, they've played pretty good football so far they've played really again as of recording they've played really well today against Leicester they there was only ever one one team gonna win that and I 
do think Brighton's downfall could be that they finish in the top seven and get a European place next year. What um, a downfall. I'll take a downfall right now. They they don't have the squad to compete. Um, their, their first team is really quite formidable at the moment and I think they'll give anyone a challenge. But it was uh, akin to Liverpool's downfall uh, about six, seven years ago when they were finishing sixth, seventh. They didn't have the squad to compete on a Monday night, or on a sun, on a weekend, and then midweek. They they simply didn't have the squad to do it. I think Brighton would be even worse than that, and we've seen it in past where teams have hit these heights. Leicester done it. Leicester won the league, got Champions League, and then absolutely folded because they couldn't keep that same pace that they were expected to. A few names that I'm really quite happy. Obviously, Fulham. You know. Two wins, two draws, two losses so far. I'm quite proud of them. They're sitting there mid-table at the moment. They're doing really quite well. A couple of teams that I'm kind of a little bit more shocked at. Southampton, Newcastle. No, Bournemouth, I don't really, I don't, you know, they've conceded something like 13 goals, something like that. Yeah, minus 13 goal difference. It's conceded more than that because they have scored some. So 18 goals, 18 goals minus 13 goal difference. Quite, yeah, quite shocking to be fair. It's been a bit of an unusual summer, but no, I think that the table is looking fairly accurate as well as teams that have come out of the traps of playing. Like, do you know what I mean? Like Tottenham sitting third at the moment, can't really fault their style of play at the moment. Conte's got them all working together. I don't think, I don't think they've been playing that well, to be fair. Every game I've seen Tottenham, I'm like, yeah, I stand by this. I just don't think they play that well. The I'm kind of interested they to see. It's always a sign of yeah. a good team not playing well and picking up points. Yeah, though, that's the kind of the energy I get. Yeah, that's kind of what they say, isn't it? But I'm, I feel like they'll probably come unstuck soon against someone, but I don't know who that would be. Well, I mean, they but... came very close to coming unstuck against Chelsea, didn't they? Like, they should not have they drawn didn't. that match. Like, Chelsea yeah. battered them that day. The stuff has fallen in a bit of their favour. They had a bit of rubber the green, which is stuff, and it is. They do say swings and roundabouts, and you know, ultimately the swings out over the course of the season. Yeah. But I, I think obviously in the, I do say this with the I don't think they've got off and I don't think they've been overly convincing even though they get the results. But then obviously they've been growing with each game. Their signings are getting more equipped with each other, so they are going to improve anyway. So that might not happen. I mean Chelsea and Liverpool though sitting sixth and seventh respectively i they are two shocks to the premier league right now but at the same time if you look at the summers they've had liverpool losing mane not replacing him their team is aging uh jordan henderson's proved that he can't go a full 90 minutes without hurting himself milner's not looking as sharp as he was last season i think van dyke he's had a few questionable moments this season so far i'm i I can understand they're in the position they are however i would still expect them despite the position uh, despite their results to be sitting around fourth fifth at the moment but obviously the the tables put them in seventh and that's kind of where they are at the moment again it's all very much just can't lie on the table at this point yeah my my fear is which is probably partly because I'm a Liverpool fan. I'm like, it's fine, it's fine. It's it's, it's six games into the season. Like, I'm not worried for Liverpool, and obviously and, Darwin Nunes hasn't played every game so far. He will come good, and yeah, I think yeah. he's got something for you. I really do think he has got something for you. You would have thought that with the fixtures Liverpool have had, like again, I'm not being disrespectful to the teams that they've played, but like yes, the, ones, are, the ones that they've drawn, Fulham, Palace, and Everton. Like you would have looked at that at the start of the season and gone. 
the Man United match is the difficult match there. Everton away is tricky, but they should really win at least five out of those matches. No Liverpool fan on this planet thought you would not beat Man United. Uh, Every Liverpool fan. I feel if you spoke to Tommy pre-game, you probably (laughs) would have. Yeah, he definitely. In terms of like the table as it is now and like, or or teams that I think are maybe not necessarily in a false position, but West Ham. I would be worried for. I'm not worried for West Ham in a false position is my point I don't think they'll be in the relegation battle at all they've had hard games and then they've been screwed by VAR yeah West, West Ham will end up being, I think, probably mid-table this season. I think they probably just sort of like not reached the, the peak of what they're capable of. But I think some of the players probably tired after last season. And I just think that it will take time for the new signings to fit in and maybe for the system to change slightly to accommodate them. Like some like Pequeta. It's probably very different to it's generally always been like Lanzini or maybe sort of like four hours who's been playing sort of like the ten. Like I think is a very different player to them. I think as well Liverpool and Chelsea, it's been kind of like a transitional kind of few games. But equally, I feel like they could very easily both have three to five more points than they actually do from some of the matches they played. So I feel like over the next month the table will kind of take on a bit more of a familiar look. And by that, I mean, I think Man City will race clear. Brighton will slide down a little bit and Liverpool and Chelsea will climb a little bit. And then I think it'll probably stay with those sort of like the, the top six being the ones that you would very much expect it to, I think. Do you think it's the most open relegation battle though? Because I think there's no team that's normally, you normally you get a couple of teams that I'd say they're guaranteed you three points sort of vibe. Yeah, I, oh, I, I think I feel I think that's that, changed this season a little bit because I, I wouldn't write yeah. off Bournemouth. I wouldn't write off Forest because I think their signings could start clicking. I mean, People... I still feel like Bournemouth. I feel like I still feel like they're very bad. The only thing that's changed recently is that the fact that they came from behind and beat Forest three two. I'm now going a Forest a lot worse than I thought they were. Well, um, they still settling. They're still that, like yeah. That's that, that, that's sort of the only thing that's that's changed for me really like I, I think most teams will probably look at Bournemouth particularly at home and be like that's three points or it should be I think away from home it, it always can be different away from home but I think that's probably the one like I feel like Bournemouth will end up dropping because I think they will more often than not get beaten <clears throat> um, but maybe beating Forest Villa if they beat Fulham or some of the other teams that will be down at the bottom maybe that'll be enough for them I think I think Leicester have started worse than I thought they would. Like I th- I I still think they will be fine because I think the players they've got are all right. But so I you would... can't overlook that sixteen goals conceded is pretty yeah. Much I wouldn't be surprised if Rogers lost his job soon. Just because I think I kind of agree with what Daniel said earlier about him. Like I don't think he's the manager to take them out of this. Like I think for for Brendan Rogers from his time at Liverpool, it's been kind of similar for Leicester. I think like there's a period at the start where it's building and you're like okay it's not going great but I can see what we're trying to do here and then it goes very well and then things start to go wrong and he kind of either he can't fix it or something happens with like the the players just kind of switch off a little bit something like that I kind of feel like that's where we've gone to now like and and at the end of his time at Liverpool he kind of completely changed how he had been playing previously like things started going badly at the end of the season he bought in Benteke he went away to Man United and played with like a, a back three with wing backs and two wingers who are effectively more wing backs and I think it's a natural 
natural thing to do when things go badly that you're like, right, we're going to keep it tight. We're going to shut up. We're going to do this. I just feel like he's not very good at turning those situations around. So I'd not be worried for them because, again, I think they've got enough quality players to come out of it. If they sell Soyuncu outside of the transfer window and they're left with their centre-backs being Johnny Evans, Daniel Amati, the new person they've signed from Ran, who I've never seen play, so I can't comment on, and then... I guess indeed is a backup fourth choice, then I would be worried for them. Because I think as soon as somebody goes down with an injury, particularly in a couple of places, they're fucked. <laughs> like they just don't have the squad. And I still I still feel like Wolves I'm still still not convinced by Wolves. I know they won the other day, but like they've scored three goals and they've con- conceded four in six matches. Like being boring isn't a problem, but when you're that boring it is. Like at some point, I think I said this in the pre-season pitch like again, don't expect them to get relegated, but I think they'll be around like maybe like where they are now or 15th, 16th. Cuz I said they they're not going to score enough goals and they're not going to be able to shut teams out that much for that long, I don't think. Daniel, any agreement on that or anyone else you want to highlight? Oh no, I I do agree with that. Are, are we are we discussing who we're thinking is going to be relegated at this stage? Nope. Have I done that? But I mean, we could talk about it if you want. I will be asking you at the end of this podcast. So if uh, you want no, to save okay. it, so. no, I I do agree with what Tommy has said so far. Yeah, certainly Wolves are a bit of a surprise one. They don't they don't play particularly nice football. They're not they're not really blowing anyone away. They do play nice football. They just have no one to finish it off. I think that's the they're they're, they're just the. The flirty tease of the division. I think you must be used to being a Fulham fan if you think Wolves play nice football. They play. They don't play as bad as you think based on their goal return. I'm just. You see them do everything but do the end part. It's generally hypnotic to watch at some point. No, I think. I think where we're at at the moment, it's a little bit too early to really judge the league and where people are at because we're like Tommy has said, we're only six games in. The the league hasn't really started to form how it's going to look by the end of the season or even midway through the season. But there's a few glaring things that do need to be addressed. Oh, I feel like that's time, you know, talking things to glare and address, like people's FPL teams. That's why we're going to go Kaylee for an FPL update on the Totally Buzz League to see if everyone else is having a terrible time like Brendan Rodgers or if they're celebrating like Mikel Arteta, but apparently not when they're playing Man United before Daniel interrupts me. Good evening. Kaylee here, your main source on the Totally Buzzed FPL League. It's been an action-packed month, which has seen the top of the table constantly change. However, as of recording, last season's champion team Sancho's Nachos, now called team oil can't buy have moved top of the table they have an eight point lead as it stands team oil can't buy have benefited from having erling harland kieran trippier and pascal Gros to call upon and have interestingly kept the faith in Liverpool's Mohamed Salah, despite his season not getting off to the hottest start. Just behind Team Oil Can't Buy in the table is Team Miners Gold, Team Inam Peru Vicala, Team Super Ted's Barmy Army, and Team Humble Beast. Team Humble Beast scored an impressive 75 points in what was a low-scoring game, Week 6, in order to complete the top five. Before we look at who is struggling in our division, we're giving an honourable shout Shout out to Team Bernardo's Watch, who was the first side in the totally buzzed FPL league to score 100 points in a single week. Team Bernardo's Watch racked up that score in game week four, with Haaland, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Martin Odegaard all getting double-digit scores. Now to the bottom, Team Wasted Youth 25 currently prop up the table, with them on 217 points. Just above them is Team Fox City, and rounding off the relegation zone is Team 
Factu Sue, and I'll be hoping to feature in next month's update for better reasons. Remember to stay tuned to www.totallybuzz.co.uk and follow at Buzzed Football on Twitter for weekly FPL updates on the Totally Buzz League. I've been Kaylee. Back to you, Laura, for more football beef. And we're back from them FPL updates. Now to wrap up this edition of Football Beef Does Premier League Monthly Wrap-Ups. We're going to ask Daniel and Tommy if they're feeling confident enough to predict their top four and bottom three based on what they've seen early impressions of the team so far, and they may change it next month. Who knows? Tommy, do you want to say who your top four are currently looking in your mind? Sure. Why not? I've changed slightly from what, what I think I said in our pre-season preview one. I've still got Man City in there because I now think they'll probably win the league and because Erling Haaland looks like he's going to score about 60 league goals and I don't know how anybody can compete with that if you've got a striker that's going to score that many. I think Liverpool will still be in there. Tottenham, I think I said at the start of the season, but I'm now going to change my mind. I'm going to say Arsenal in there as well. Fair enough. Daniel, are you matching or is your top four looking a little different? My top four is slightly different. I've got Man City winning the league. Again, touching on what Tommy said, Erling Haaland's going to be the real key to that, but I also don't want to kind of disparage the, the use of of Kevin De Bruyne and the defence they've got. I think Man City walked the league this year. It may be the biggest league gap we've seen uh, from previous years. In number two, I'm going for Tottenham. I think Conte is running quite a well-oiled shit. I think he is the manager that's going to graft out the ugly wins that Tottenham will need. So as it stands right now, I've got Tottenham finishing second. I've got Man United finishing third, which might be a surprise to some people. But I think with Eric Ten Hag's style of play, the signings that we've got, facts that he doesn't seem to be scared to drop the weak links, it's certainly Maguire. A player that's really surprised me in the last few weeks has been Scott McTonamy, who's been a bit of a laughing stock at United. But I think with Casemiro coming in for 60 million, a bit of a panic buy, some might say. But I think that's really made Scott McTonamy open up his kind of eyes and say, well, you know, I can be dropped and I will be dropped if I don't start playing better. He's playing out of his skin at the moment. So I think United are going to take third. And in fourth, I've got Liverpool just creeping in to the top four for the final spot there. I love the idea that Casemiro can be considered a panic buy at 60 million. It's like panic buying at Waitrose sort of energy. What about your top four, Laura? Top four, Man City are going to win the league. I don't think I don't think any I feel it's like the one thing we're never gonna have beef over on this podcast. And then until like there's gonna be a spectacular when they don't win the league and then we're just gonna look all injured. They lost three 0 they're not gonna yeah, win the league. That sort of energy, but I'd go Man City. I'm probably gonna change my opinion, but I'd probably say I'd go Tottenham in second, just because even though I'm not convinced by them, they seem they, to be got the points on the board. Yeah, is they got the points on the board, but they also seem to have that energy. I think they'll just get better as their signings get better if you make you know what I mean. I thought the early times would be the team in trouble, but apparently if they can play like that and still get results, then that is yes, a sign indeed. of a champion. But I don't want to call them champions because, you know, they're not Man City. We know they won't win the league because they're Tottenham. Yeah, there is that as well. You got, you just got to, they won't win a the DNA. So I go Man City, Tottenham, then I think Liverpool will be fine. And then I'm going Arsenal and that means Man United are missing out. I ain't even sorry. I'm just upsetting Man United fans today. But yeah, that would be my round off there. Shall we move to relegation battle? Because I'm not going to like this. Let's do it. Daniel, you go first. You'll be pleased to know I've got Fulham surviving this year. I do think, you know, they've already chalked up two wins. I think there's more to come. I think Fulham are going to survive. My bottom three this year are Everton, going to be the f- first time they've ever been relegated, if I'm if I'm right in thinking. I think uh, if you go Premier League history, yeah. I think if you go yeah, all the way, 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 there's uh, someone who's 
goes on about this. I think Everton. I've got Everton bottom this year. I think. Oh Jesus! I like it. I've got Nottingham Forest going down as well. I just think they've signed too many players. They. I don't think they will all gel as they're meant to. And I've got them going down as well. And last but not least, I have also got Aston Villa going back down again. I think Steven Gerrard has led the team to a place where he can't recover from it. I don't think he's got the tactical prowess and the knowledge to dig this team out of it, nor do I feel like he has the team that can fight a relegation battle. I think if they're floating around the mid-table, lower mid-table, they can probably just survive. But I think once he comes into a dogfight, into a relegation battle, I think he's going to buckle under pressure. We've seen it before. Remember the slip. So that would be my bottom three. I've got Everton, Nottingham Forest and Aston Villa. Aston Villa sitting in 18th with Nottingham Forest 19th, Everton 20th. Phil, I'm just going to get in here before Tommy. I'm going to be confident about Fulham and say statistically we don't want to be the first team to get eight points from their first six games and get relegated because match of day loved that bloody stat and I was like well that just like a kiss of death but I feel this relegation battle is wide open so I feel I'm gonna actually mix it up you've got Everton and that I don't see that so I've got Bournemouth I've got Wolves and I don't know who to put as my third I feel maybe their team will click just a little too late so I'll go Forest but I feel it's it's a difficult one, but that's where I'm going at the moment. Tommy? I think Bournemouth, I still think they're the worst team in the league based on the players they've got. Like, I know that they've picked up a couple of wins, but I don't see the season going too much better for them. You know, even that awful Derby County team won a match against Newcastle all those years ago. Based on the fact that they blew it and lost to Bournemouth, I'm also putting Nottingham Forest down there <laughs> like I thought they would actually be decent this season, partly because of like the, the momentum that they had from the playoffs and like the got a good feeling around the club but I feel like the slow starts to the season I know they've had some difficult matches like Spurs and Man City obviously aren't easy matches and like so you know I get it but I feel like that momentum has kind of stalled a little bit I think they're going to struggle and then I find that the third one is the one that I find difficult because I think there's a few teams that could go into it or get very easily sucked into it like I think Wolves easily could I think if Southampton's form drops off the cliff that it tends to do like they tend to start right and then sink worried for Villa more because Gerard doesn't seem to know what he wants them to do like the team is changing like week to week the system and formation is changing week to week. Everton aren't great. Like, I don't think they'll lose loads of matches and I don't think they'll get absolutely battered in the way that Bournemouth have done or Forested away at City, but I don't think they'll win that many games. Obviously, Leicester is struggling. At the moment, looking at it now, I'd probably put in Villa just because, like I said, I just don't think they really know what they're doing or what they want to do. There's no kind of clarity or direction to it. It's very much, you're fit, this person wasn't doing well, you can do better than me, you go. And that's a bit of a worry, I think. On that cheery note of relegation talk, that sums up the Premier League recap of the month done by the Football Beef team. We'll be back for another one next month. But in the meantime, do check out the season one episodes where we talk about I am Robin, Alan Shearer, Michael Owen, Tim Cahill, and so much more debates go on there. Daniel gets mad about I am Robin. Tommy is just loving life about Michael Owen. So there are things to go check out. Make sure you rate five stars if you like what you hear and follow us on Twitter at BuzzFootball so you don't miss another episode. And until then, good luck with your fantasy football teams, I guess is the best thing to say. It's the most cheery thing I can think of. Goodbye, guys. Football beef! Not heard the latest about pooping Prime Ministers? 
What podcast have you been listening to? Because it definitely isn't the Totally Buzz podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and totallybuzz.co.uk. So what are you waiting for? Tune in now to hear all the latest news from around the web on the Totally Buzz podcast, the only place to be totes buzzed.